people of God had been in exile, they're coming home to Jerusalem. They see the steps leading into the temple, and as they ascend each one, they pray and give praise to God. They teach us how to pray and praise God in difficult times. Join us for this series every Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. Good evening, everyone, or good afternoon, morning, whenever you're watching this. Uh, we are so grateful you have joined us uh, for uh, this teaching from Psalm 129 tonight. Uh, we are walking through the Psalms of Ascent. Let me just remind you again, biblically and historically, that these Psalms for the most part were composed during a time when by God's grace, Israel was permitted to return from exile. They had been exiled under the judgment of God and held captive by their Babylonian captors until Babylonia's power was overcome by the power of Persia. And the king of Persia, whose name was Cyrus, who was by no means uh, one who loved God or served God or sought to obey God, was moved by God. And he did not know he was moved by God. He was simply a puppet in God's hand, but he issued a decree that allowed the Jews to return from their captivity in Babylonia into back into Jerusalem. So as they began to make their preparations for this long and arduous journey back to Jerusalem, they began to think about uh, the sacred city of Jerusalem and the most sacred site in the city of Jerusalem, the Holy Temple of God, the Temple Mount. And so they began to, in preparation for that, to put together these prayers as they anticipated their journey back. And then arriving in Jerusalem, uh, they would ascend the steps into the city, moving toward the Temple Mount. And it is thought that as they, as they uh, would move up the steps one by one, they would recite these psalms of praise, these petitions to their God. And we began quite a few weeks back looking at these psalms of ascent. They are psalms born out of a time of pain, out of a time that uh, in which they felt something of the absence of God. Uh, their situation in life had uh, become different than it had ever been before. In other words, we chose to study these psalms, or I chose to lead a study in these psalms in the awareness that uh, we've not been exiled from our homes, but we felt exiled from our church family. We felt exiled in many ways from biological family. We felt exiled from what is familiar, from what is friendly. We felt exiled from that which was predictable and that which was predictable that brought a sense of safety and security and stability to our lives, and uh, thus this time of looking at the Psalms of Ascent. We've arrived tonight at Psalm 129. So I want to read this psalm. I want to invite you to reflect 
with me on this psalm, and I want us together to uh, hear as God speaks through this psalm what it is that God is saying to us in our time that uh, will allow us to make application to our lives. So let me pray and we will begin. Father, we are so grateful that we can open your word again tonight and we can look at and listen to this psalm that is given to us. It is your word. It is your inerrant, infallible, fully trustworthy and sufficient word. And we want to listen to and we want to learn from every word. So Holy Spirit, teach us tonight as we study and show us your truth and help us to apply it to our lives. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to uh, begin tonight by talking about something that is very difficult for uh, people who belong to Jesus, who seek to live and worship God through Jesus, that live in the United States of America. Uh, that is what I'm, what I'm about to talk about is, is true uh, in other places other than the United States of America, but it is as if we in our country live on an island, an island that has not been invaded in years by the pain of the persecution of believers, an island in which many ways we are still free to worship and to serve God as we please to worship and serve God. Nobody is uh, attacking us for who we are as Christians, what we believe as Christians, what we do as Christians. And yet, what we find in our country is, well, in the history of the church and in the work, worship, and witness of the church in the world today, in the beginning of the 21st century, what we find here is, well, it's unusual. It's abnormal. It is not what has been the history of the church throughout the centuries. In fact, to read the record of the church from its birth at Pentecost until now, throughout most of time and throughout most of the world, is to know that to belong to Jesus as Lord is to belong to a family whose banner is, we are suffering, but we are rejoicing. In fact, to be faithful to Jesus in a fallen world, if the Bible is the word of God, and we know it is, 
To be faithful in to Jesus in a fallen world is to face suffering. But we do not face suffering with grumbling and complaining, with despair and defeat. We face suffering with joy because our face is turned toward Jesus and our faith is focused fully on Jesus. Now we have to be careful here because to say that we be, that those who belong to Jesus as Lord be, belong to the family of those who suffer and yet we rejoice, we have to be careful because not all suffering is suffering because we belong to Jesus. In fact, one of the struggles that we have in our culture is that the only way we can really talk about suffering is suffering that is due to something other than suffering for the gospel. So when the preacher talks about suffering, if you follow Jesus, love Jesus, serve Jesus, or seeking to be faithful to Jesus, you will suffer. And somebody raises their hand says, yeah, no, I've had arthritis for 20 years, or I, I know what you're talking about because I've struggled with diabetes for years, or I was diagnosed with cancer 10 years ago, and every day since then has been a day of suffering. Well, that is suffering. That suffering is real. But it's not possible to connect completely that kind of suffering with what the Bible uh, talks about when it talks about suffering for the gospel. For example, uh, some of our suffering is due to our sin. Do you agree with that? We make sinful choices along the way, and those choices have consequences. Sin is never without consequences. Sin is never without impunity. So when we make sinful choices, we should expect to see the consequences of those choices. Uh, some of our suffering is due to our situation in life. We're in places and involved in various activities, even as believers, that over time will produce suffering. Suffering comes sometimes because of the society to which we belong, where as believers we're always faced with calls to compromise our commitment to Jesus. And our compromise to commit uh, of our commitment to Jesus as Lord will at times bring suffering. Uh, just think with me for uh, just a minute or two about what God has given us in 1st Peter. 1st uh, Peter uh, addresses the issue of Christians who suffer, but in the midst of that, 1st Peter uh, makes clear that we have to distinguish between suffering as a Christian and suffering maybe even as a Christian for things that are not related to 
our being a Christian. He writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. But listen to this. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? The judgment beginning at the house of God means that we need to know as believers what genuine suffering is and why genuine suffering comes so that we can receive it and we can rejoice in it. When suffering comes, God always for his children has good purposes in that suffering. So here's what I want to do. I I want to read and reflect with you for a few moments on Psalm 129. And then I want to end our study this time with several situations that are real life situations where people are suffering, but They are rejoicing. Psalm 129, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Let Israel now say, greatly have they afflicted me from my youth. Yet they have not prevailed against me. The plowers plowed upon my back. They made long their furrows. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turn backwards. Let them be like the grass on the housetops, which withers before it grows up, with which the reaper does not fill his hand, nor the binder of sheaves his arms. Nor do those who pass by say, the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. This very short and simple and straightforward psalm can be divided into three parts. These three parts are verses 1 through 3, the path of pain. The path of pain. Verses 5 through 8, the prayers of those who are in pain. The prayers of those who are in pain. And then at the center of the psalm, the key to the psalm, the primary principle that we need to know as the people of God. Let's look first at the path of pain. 
Listen to what the psalmist says. Greatly have they afflicted me from their youth. Let Israel now say, Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. Now, the ones speaking here are those in pain. They have been afflicted. And what is obvious here is that those speaking are speaking as the people of God with one voice. This is Israel now in exile, getting ready to return from exile and ascend the steps into Jerusalem. They are suffering, but they are rejoicing. They have known pain and Now they are moving back toward the city that is the source of all of their pleasure. They've been afflicted from their youth. They're going back in their memory here, back into Egypt. They were afflicted by Egypt. They came out of Egypt across the Red Sea into the wilderness on their way to the land of promise, that land of promise would become for them a place of seeing both God's goodness and at the same time it would become a place of pain. Pain that was brought by Egypt from which they were delivered by the hand of God through Moses and through Aaron. They were oppressed not only by Egypt, they were oppressed by Assyria. Not only by Assyria, but by Babylon. And later by Syria. And then by Greece. And then by Rome. One major power after another, oppressing the people of God. They have known the path of pain. And yet, and yet, they stand. Listen to their prayer. Greatly have they afflicted me from my youth, yet they have not prevailed against me. And the pain has been enormous. Plowers plowed my back. They made long their furrows. This is the kind of pain that stays with a person, that is remembered by a person. They know their suffering, and yet they rejoice in their suffering because at the center of this psalm stands these words, The Lord is righteous. Yahweh is righteous. And he who is righteous in his essence will do what is right for the glory of his name for his people. The Lord is righteous. He has cut the cords of the wicked. The image here is 
cutting those cords by which Egypt held them, cutting those cords by which Babylon held them, cutting those cords by which Assyria held them, cutting those cords by which any people who created suffering for them, they were set free by the hand of their holy God who is righteous. You and I need to remember that, don't we? When we're facing pain and pressure and problems, when we're facing suffering and sorrow and sickness, when we're facing those things that cause us to wonder where God is and what God is doing, we can know that regardless of what he's doing, we can say our God is righteous. Our God is right and our God does what is right. That's the principle. That's the heart. That's the soul. Then listen to those who pray in pain. Uh, this is a part of scripture that's hard for us. Because what we're going to see here is that they're praying what is known as imprecatory prayers. They're praying for God to visit and bring vengeance upon those who have caused the suffering. May all who hate Zion, they pray. May all who hate Zion be put to shame and turned backwards. They're praying that those who brought pain to them would be punished by being brought to shame. Secondly, they, they're praying that not only will they be brought to shame, but they will be seduced and destroyed. The image here is powerful. Let them be like the grass on the housetops which withers before it grows up. Many homes in those days had these flat rooftops and there would be grass there on the rooftop and that grass had no hope of lasting for any length of time. When it was green, it looked luscious. Then the sun scorched it. They're praying, let them be like that grass, seduced as if they are productive, but then put to nothing. Not only do they pray for this seduction that will lead to destruction. They pray for this expectation that will yield emptiness. Let them be like the reaper, verse 7. He does not feel his hand nor the binder of sheaves. They, they're expecting because of their power, these people who exploit the people of God, that they will see a full and abundant harvest and God's people are praying, no, no, let them see emptiness and let them be exposed. Nor do those who pass by say to them, say to them who brought, say to them who brought the people of God pain. They don't say the blessing of the Lord be upon you. We bless you in the name of the Lord. I want to say to you at the end of this study today that uh, I could be wrong about this, 
but I don't see in our country yet. If you ask me, do I believe that we will see it? The answer is yes. I may not live to see it. But my children may see it, and I believe for sure my grandchildren will see it if Jesus tarries. When we will see in this country real suffering for the gospel. What I could be wrong about is I don't think we've seen it. I don't think in my lifetime I've seen real suffering for the gospel, if you want me to be just honest. Nobody's tracking me on my Twitter feed, or no one's trying to source my emails to find out whether or not I really am preaching the gospel. No one's threatening me for what I say from the pulpit. I have people who disagree and want to discuss issues, which is great. But I don't have anybody attacking me, threatening to ruin me if I keep preaching and teaching what I'm preaching. But let me introduce you to, just very quickly, um, two or three people. Men Jai. You've never met Min Jai. I haven't either, but I've read his story. He is from North Korea, the most aggressively persecuted place on earth. He escaped North Korea for a season and went to China, and of all places in China, he heard the gospel. God convicted him of his sin, brought him to faith in Jesus. He immediately was given a burden for his people back in North Korea. He became an agent exporting Bibles into North Korea, went back into North Korea. There in North Korea, he was looking for believers. He was in the marketplace one night when a man passed by and he heard the man singing Christian songs. He approached the man. They developed a relationship. The man was the leader of a family where everybody in the family were believers and they had no Bibles. And this man, Min Jai, was able to get Bibles to this family. And they began to gather together, 27 of them. They read and studied the Bible together. As they read and studied the Bible together, they knew that God desired and deserved to be worshipped. And they began to gather together in secret and to worship God, to study his word together. One of the neighbors heard them singing, knew it was Christian songs, reported them to the authorities. The authorities invaded their home and arrested and put in prison all 27. As of my telling you this story on this night, all 27 are still in prison. Minjai continues to work toward distributing Bibles. He has now exited North Korea. He is in South Korea. Minjai says, listen to this. I feel guilt every day and sadness every day because I should be and desire to be in prison with them. That's suffering for the gospel. Let me mention just maybe one more. Peter who is a leader with Voice of the Martyrs. 
has been going in and out of very, very difficult places, uh, preaching and teaching the Word of God. Uh, Peter does not go into easy places. You know why? Because Peter was raised in a family where his whole family, his mom and dad, his brothers and sisters, Peter grew up on a mission field, but not just any mission field. He grew up with his parents being in places where they were persecuted for being Christians. Peter knew that to be a follower of Jesus meant that you didn't resist suffering. You knew that there were places where to which God may call you where you would suffer. And Peter went to those places, Islamic extremist dominated countries. And he was arrested for preaching the gospel. He stood before a judge and was sentenced to 20 years in prison. He had a wife and children at home. They, they knew that since they didn't hear from him that he had probably been arrested and was in prison. They prayed for his release. 17 months served in prison for preaching the gospel. He was released from prison and he went home to his wife and family. End of story? No. Peter continues to go into places where it is very difficult and demanding to live as a Christian. He encourages the church. He exhorts the church. He preaches the gospel. He's suffering yet rejoicing. I talked recently to my friend in Belarus who lives in Minsk. He's my translator whenever I'm in Belarus. And I said to him, we, we, we in America may need you and people like you. And he said, well, that may be true. And we want to help. We want to help. We want to help you know how to be a part of the fellowship of suffering while rejoicing. He said, it is for us normal to know that believers, even in a city of multiplied millions of people in Minsk, Belarus, we are a very, very small minority with no voice. But Al, this is what we know. We speak with the voice of God. And we will go to jail and we will face persecution we know that. And it's all right. It's all right. Because to belong to Jesus is to belong to the fellowship of those who suffer for the gospel. But we suffer with rejoicing. Not all suffering is for the gospel. But that which is for the gospel will bring along with it great, great, great rejoicing. Father, thank you for this time together. Bless the teaching and the hearing and receiving of your word and encourage us in these days. We've gotten used to comfort and convenience as Christians. We've, been, we've gotten used to living in a place where being a Christian, it may not be applauded, but it is not denounced. We're going to have to get used to a new culture and a new life. That is the life of Christians throughout all the centuries. 
we have been we have been for most of the 20th century into the 21st in the United States of America in a strange and unusual place for the Christian church. We're about to see in our time, at least our children will see, what is more normal. Oh God, equip us, engage us, work in our hearts and lives, get us ready to be a part of that fellowship of suffering while yet rejoicing. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, friends, for joining us. I'll talk to you later.